From WXXI News, this is Connections and Unleash the Pet Show. I'm Evan Dawson. And today we're talking about how to better understand and communicate with your pets, whether it's to improve their behavior, build a stronger bond, or notice signs of illness. So how well do you think you understand your pet? Well, one in five owners say they and their pets understand each other completely. A 2008 poll found that 67% of owners say they understand their animals' purrs, barks, and other noises. 62% said that when they speak, their pets understand them, or at least their intention. We're taking your questions about pet communication, the way our animals communicate with us, signs of illnesses, trouble, any general questions you have about your pets. And let's go, let's go ahead and welcome our guests for the hour. Dr. Todd Wyland's here. He's from the Animal Hospital of Pittsford. He's in studio with us. You can ask him a question by calling 844-295-TALK, toll free, 844-295-8255. Or if you're in Rochester, 263-WXXI, 263-9994. You can tweet your question to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack. She's on Twitter at mmackmedia. Let me introduce Dr. Todd Wyland. Nice to have you here. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. You are uh, not only an animal doctor, but plenty of animals at home for you. That's correct. I have uh, three dogs and two cats. Always been a, a household for you? Did you grow up with a lot of animals? Uh, starting out, no. Uh, finally convinced my parents uh, by the time we were teenagers to get us a dog, and that started the whole program. So, Did you know early on that you wanted to work in this field? I sure did. I sure did. Yeah. Right. Um, middle school, high school, I knew that's the route I was going to take and got sidetracked a little bit, but got back on track and here I am well, 20 years later. Middle school, but by then you, you didn't have pets at that point, right? No, but we were begging for one. Oh, you were begging. <laughs> so you loved animals all growing up. Though. I did. Okay. I did. All we right. had some allergies in the family, so there was hesitation about you know, bringing a dog or a cat into the house with my brother and my mother. So, And now you're the one diagnosing the allergies. That's right. So uh, you've been at uh, the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh for 20 years? That's correct. This this, uh, this July will be 20 years. And how are things going there? Fantastic. Fantastic. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of good critters every day, um, sometimes some not good things, but for the most part we're promoting health and trying to keep them living as long as we can. Okay. Um, cats, dogs, uh any other animals? Who do you serve? I'm I am cats and I serve cats and dogs primarily, and then we have uh, two other doctors there who will do some exotic work with, um, you know, um, the pocket pets and some lizards and snakes. So it gets a little. I was going to say things like iguanas. I was being facetious, but no, we see them. You do. Yeah. Yep. You care for iguanas, like all right. So. L- Cats, dogs, uh, basic pet questions. If you've got them, Dr. Weiland's here for the hour, 844-295-TALK, 844-295-8255. And Todd and I were talking before the program began about losing an animal. Uh, My wife and I, one of our cats, um, passed away a few years ago. And I said, I was saying to to Dr. Weiland, so we had three at the time, and she was the healthiest. You know, she was the runt of the litter. So I don't know if that, all I know is that she was always the smallest the fittest, the carried the least extra weight. We always thought she was going to live forever. And she was only 11 and had a, a large tumor on her liver. And what I said to Dr. Weiland was, it happened fast. But it didn't really happen fast, I'm sure. I mean, what we saw was the very end signs of it. But she didn't let on until it was very, very late. And unfortunately, you're saying that that is common, isn't it? Oh, very common, um, especially for cats, more so than dogs. Uh, they're the, the great Houdinis of the animal world. And um, you know, I guess my question back to you is, 
retrospectively, did you were there any subtle teeny signs there that made you think, well, you know, maybe she was off a little bit. Maybe she wasn't quite feeling well. You know, um, we never were able to grab onto anything that would have tipped it off with any kind of real advance notice. It was literally I came out of the shower and my wife was sitting in the bedroom holding her and she, her tongue was hanging out of her mouth and she looked like she was just so run down and she said something is wrong and I think the night before she had been moving around that we thought was normal so it, it was tough but you call them the great Houdinis because they can sort of hide and get away from you know any diagnosis uh, until the very late stages huh? that's correct and you know what you see what what happened in your house was no different than happens in so many others unfortunately um, they will try to maintain their their normal activity and socialization right up until the very end where they just they've hit that wall and they just can't handle it anymore and i think that's it's a it's a it's a way of protecting themselves from the wild you know in in the wild if you are not acting strong and healthy then um, you're not going to survive and the pack's going to leave you or you're going to get you're going to get eaten by uh, another animal. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's the truth. And um, so, you know, what, what, what you were seeing is very typical of so many pet owners as they come in. They weren't even acting sick. We had no idea. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, in that moment, it's easy to kind of blame myself. How did I not know? Oh, my gosh. I hear that every day. You I do? I hear that every day. And I have to assure owners that, that you know, we are, that, that this is... This is so often the course, and it's not anything you did. It's not anything you didn't see. My my take-home message would be, and, and I think that's going to be part of the take-home message for today, is that if there's any, any subtle change that you're seeing with your pets, you know, don't be afraid to call your veterinarian or bring them in for a check, especially if they're older. You know, that's, you know, you know if they're having a kind of an off day or just something subtle in their behavior is not quite right, then... By all means, call your veterinarian and get a, get in there and get a look, trying so that you and they, the, your veterinarian, can get on this right away. The phone's ringing. Let's grab our first phone call down in Ithaca. Ian, first up, go ahead, Ian. Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, we have a, a Pomeranian miniature poodle mix, and she's uh, eight, ten weeks old, and we're we're struggling getting her trained to go outside. Uh, it may seem like an odd question to ask for this, but uh, I'm wondering if I could get any insight on it. Sure, yeah. Um, trying. You mean she's having accidents in the house, is that what you're saying? Very often, yeah. We'll we'll bring her outside, and for, you know, a half hour plus, she won't really go to the bathroom. As soon as she comes inside, she goes to the bathroom. Right. Inside. And are you using a, a crate to train her with? We do have, yep, she's in a crate uh, for a few hours a day. Okay. And uh, is she making it, is she having any accidents in the crate? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. So then my recommendation there just quickly would be to, um, you know, if you've had her out for a long time outside and nothing's happened and you know she's got to go, then I would bring her back into the house, put her in the crate for five minutes or so, and then take her back out and then take her back outside and just keep doing that until she goes. She's kind of has it in her mind that, you know, the house, I mean, for a small dog that size, I mean, that's like 100 acres of, of open of open land inside the house. And so you want to, we want to convert that it's okay going in the house to it's better to go outside. And so oh, just, okay, that's a, that's probably be my best start. And then the, the first start. And then the other thing is to, you know, while 
she's out, look very closely for those clues that she's going to just, you know, squat and go. Um, so often puppies, when they're out and about, you know, every 15, 20 minutes, they squat and pee. They can make it for a long time within the crate, but when they're out and about, they just kind of get that urge and they squat and go. And so frequently okay. taking her outside every every 20 minutes. I know it sounds tough, but to get on this and to and to to be able to nip this now and and have her understand that outside is where you go, then that's going to be key. Okay. All right. And and no punishment when she does it inside, right? The the only quote-unquote punishment would be to like a quick no at the time that right. she's going, but if she's and picking her up and scooping her outside and and telling her right. Whatever, but yeah, we never rubber nose in it. No, that that's not too late. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad yeah. idea. And, right. if, and and if okay. and if she's done it and walked away, it doesn't. It's got to be right then and there at the time. Otherwise, right. she's got no clues to why you're doing that. She doesn't know what's going on. Right. Okay. Right. All right. Great. Appreciate the insight. Thanks a lot. Thank Ian, you. And good luck. Thanks for the phone call. Let's go down to Canandaigua, Dominic. Next up with Dr. Todd Weiland from the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh. Go ahead, Dominic. Uh, yes. Thanks for taking my call, Doc. I've got a who's about eight years old, and he was uh, recently diagnosed with a large kidney stone. Uh, now, we've got him scheduled for surgery, and I was just wondering, is there, is there any alternative to surgery for this situation? So you're saying it's, a, it's actually a stone in the bladder, correct? Not in the kidney, I, but in the, in the urinary oh, bladder? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. A uh, common problem, and uh, we see it pretty frequently in the in some of the smaller breeds, and a lot a lot so in cats too. And there are a couple foods that, if it's a particular stone type, that could be used as a dissolving diet, right? So um, if one of the other the only other non-surgical option would be would be a diet trial to see if we could get it to dissolve. Those are typically your struvite stones. They they dissolve very well. Uh, we change the pH of the urine, and it sort of melts it away over six to eight weeks. But if sure. it's a calcium oxalate or some other stone other than a struvite stone, then um, it's going to take surgery to get that out of there. Uh, well, quick question. The, the surgery, is it, is it, so it's a pretty common surgery? It really is. It's a very common surgery. Um, yeah. You know, it's probably as technically similar. It's very technically similar to um, doing a spay on a dog. We're right in that same area. We're making an incision into the urinary bladder. You're removing that stone, suturing it up, typically with a single or a double layer suture, and then closing the abdominal wall. So it's really... Um, it, of the surgeries, it's, it's, a, it's not that technically difficult. Okay. And just a, a, one more thing to add to your uh, original sure. beginning of the conversation about uh, dogs understanding their owners. Uh, our boy's deaf, and uh, we never had a problem training him. I mean, he, hmm. he it's, it's our own kind of little sign language, but he's uh, he's picked up on a great, you know, he's just the, the little pointing things, and he does well with it. Well, thank you, Dominic. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and, and my guess is, Dr. Weiland, you've had probably many um, animal owners who have animals that are um, have different challenges, deafness, blindness, but it is amazing how 
they can figure out intention, communication, how to get around, et cetera, isn't it? Oh, they're so smart. They really are. And and it, it just amazes me every day what I hear. Well, before we get to our first break, I just want to follow up on one more point on understanding when something might be wrong. Because, you know, obviously you're hearing from listeners who have issues. You've got it every day at the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh. And, we, and you mentioned that cats really hide it well. So briefly with cats, you, what you said was look for any little sign that something might be different, particularly if they're older. Does that typically manifest in more lethargic, less active, or is there anything that's common when something starts to go wrong? I don't think there's anything common, but okay. just those subtle little clues that, you know, maybe they're um, not not hanging out in their in their normal their normal spots. Um, maybe their appetite's off a little bit. Definitely moving a little slower. Just some quirky things that you're kind of scratching your head at thinking, oh, that's just not right. Okay, for a cat. Now, for a dog, they're a little bit more overt about when something might be wrong? A little bit? A little bit. I mean, not not like cats, but I do think you've got to pay close attention. And those little subtle changes in, in um, you know, them getting up to greet you or, you know, and it, some of it's breed specific too, you know. I mean, uh, for a Labrador, they're going to they're gonna carry on right to the end. I mean, they're like the the great soldiers, they just keep going and, you, and they don't stop until they're almost ready to to perish. And it's really quite sad. Um, but their drive is so intense versus some other dogs that maybe not as much. But, you know, any any clues that, are, that they're just not right, it's a good idea to, to get on the phone, either get a checkup if it's been a little bit or, uh, you know, call and speak with your veterinarian about that. Dr. Todd Weiland from the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh is in studio with me today. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, he'll answer more of your questions about pet health. And WXXI's Beth Adams talks to an animal communicator who shares how she attempts to connect with pets, both living and deceased, to help improve the relationships between animals and their owners. And if you are a skeptic, you'll at least get to hear how she tries to do that. So more Unleashed with us coming up. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. From Natural Pet Foods Company, helping people make diet choices for their pets, offering frozen and grain-free foods, and foods for pets with special needs. 766 Clinton Avenue in the South Wedge. NaturalPetFoodsCompany.com and All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at AllCatsCareCenter.com. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Today, talking about how to better understand and communicate with our pets, especially when there might be something wrong. Dr. Todd Weiland from the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh is in studio. He's here, and, you know, we wonder, how many times have you wondered what your pet is thinking or feeling? Well, Janet Ridgway says she's got the ability, as far back as she can remember, to directly communicate with animals in a very specific way. She is a writing teacher and a consultant at Syracuse University, but she calls that her Clark Kent job. She offers her animal communication services to veterinarians, animal rescue groups, shelters, and zoos. And our colleague Beth Adams from WXXI was intrigued by this. She, I know she's had a chance to talk to Janet over the years, so she had a chance to talk to Janet about what it is that she does and how. 
Well, let me start by asking about what it is you do when you say you communicate with animals. We know that the animal isn't opening up their mouth and talking to you like you and I are talking right now. How does that process work? Well, I ask myself that every day, really. I'm not <laughs> entirely sure how it works. I'd have to be a quantum physicist to really explain the phenomenon. Um, I just know how I experience it, which is, um, for me, most often, it's it's like hearing words in my head. So it is like somebody opening their mouth and talking. Um, when I was younger, it used to come to me as um, almost like uh, the ticker tape, you know, that you'd see going across the screen. Sometimes I would just read it. As I got older, it sort of sped up. And then after a while, it was just, I would open my mouth and it would come out. So it was almost like the processing time got sped way up. So now I just, I don't know where it comes from. It just comes out of my mouth as if it's them saying it. That's the most common way it comes to me. It does come as images, pictures, movies. I get a lot of TV references and cartoons, I guess, from all the TV I watched when I was a kid. So my experience is that my guides use it that way. They use uh, references that are familiar to me in order to get across a point so that I can go, oh, I know what that means. So it kind of comes as packets of information that I'm going to understand that meet up with the understanding of whatever the animal's trying to convey. And then it also connects with the people and whatever their understanding and their languages and their words. So I also get it as feelings in the body. Sometimes I'll get a, a sharp pain. I'll just open up to the animal and all of a sudden my knee really, really hurts or prior to a session I'll feel fine and about five minutes later I get a blinding headache for no reason and I think, oh, what is this about? And then I realize I'm already kind of picking up whatever the animal's feeling. And you told me that this started happening when you were a child, spontaneously. You felt like you were communicating with animals. Oh, yeah, always. I mean, I just thought everybody did it. <laughs> I really thought that people were dismissive of animals the way they were dismissive of children, that they would know what they were saying, but they just kind of pushed them aside and didn't really listen to what they were saying, and I was never really sure why. So for me, the experience was very normal, and I thought it was something that everybody had. And then as I got older, people were like, uh, no, just you. <laughs> so, and, for, so for the skeptics out there, and I know there have to be some people who are sitting there going, okay, how do you know that you're actually communicating with animals and that it's not just something happening in your head or in your imagination? Well, that's it's a good question. I mean, first of all, I'm never sure what people are skeptical about if they are, because to me, everybody communicates with their pets. I mean, everybody talks to them. Everyone looks at them and gets information back from them. Every client I have says, oh, I knew it when I tell them something. They already knew it. They were already communicating with their animals. For me, it's just much more amplified than it is for them, apparently. I mean, it's the feedback I get from other people. I will tell them, this is what I'm getting, this is what I'm picking up, and it's really the verification from the humans that, oh yes, that's a fact, or oh my God, they absolutely do that every day, or you're describing something that they've been doing that I wasn't even thinking to ask you about, but they brought it up. So it's really just the feedback I get from other people. I was actually even shocked when I first started doing it Professionally, I didn't think that it was something anybody really needed. I, I didn't really understand the full scope of how much people loved their pets. I knew how much I loved my pets, but I didn't understand at that time 
how confused people were about certain things about their pets and how easy certain things were to fix when you just look at it from the animal's perspective and hear why they're doing it. Well, what are some of the common things that animals tell you that we could be helped by? I get a lot of calls about problems, as you can imagine. I get a lot of inappropriate peeing of cats. And then people will say, oh, well, it's caused by X or Y. You know, they always have more of a veterinary understanding of it. But cats are really sensitive. And if you move the couch, they don't like that. If you you know, put new curtains on that they don't like the color of. They don't like that. Cats really don't need a real reason to pee inappropriately if they're trying to show you that they're irritated with something. It could be a litter box issue. It can be there's another cat outside that started coming around and they're peeing in the house to mark their territory. So that's a big one that I get. I get a lot of, you know, physical issues with animals. A lot of they were fine and all of a sudden they're not kind of problems. I get training issues. I mean, some of it you really don't need an animal communicator for. A lot of it is really common sense stuff where I just have to talk them through logically what they need to do because people get so caught up emotionally in what's going on with their animals that they can't see it clearly. It's the same reason why they don't let doctors operate on their family. You know, they just get all confused and emotional and kind of shut down to what the real answers are. When you and I were talking off the air, you explained that for you, animal communication is not a parlor trick, even though people could certainly have a lot of fun with this. So what is your goal when you do a session with a person and their pet? My goal in general is to transform the relationship between the animals and their people. Because as I said, and I'm sure you know, I know you are a cat lady as well. You know, we love our pets. They're part of our family. Um, Many, many people, their animals are their family, especially if they don't have kids. You know, those are their kids. And so I take my job really, really seriously in terms of making sure that I'm giving as accurate of information as possible so that people can solve the problems that are going on with their animals and they can live together better or, you know, the person feels like they're not hurting their animals' feelings or they're doing the right thing at the end of their life. You know, is it time to euthanize them? Are they doing okay? Am I being selfish by keeping them here? So a lot of it is really about the relationships between the animals and the people. I understand that you talk both to animals in the here and now and animals who are no longer with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ones that are here are a little more interesting just because they have problems and there's, you know, they're talking a lot about all the things in their life. And I mean, the biggest things I hear from the animals at Across is, of course, they love their people, letting them know that they were good parents. Sometimes they tell them they wish, you know, they might have done a couple things differently. Often it's either I would have loved to live with another companion or next time, don't get another cat because the dog is crazy or, you know, those kind of things. But they do talk a lot about how they miss food. I get that a lot. Even with people that have crossed over, I'm shocked how many of them talk about food, oh, that they we... miss the physical experience of eating. <laughs> I guess we should keep that in mind when we're enjoying our I food. Keep it in mind. I keep it in mind every day. I love the physical <laughs> experience of eating myself. So, <laughs> Well, Janet, uh, you have agreed to talk to our producer of Unleashed, Megan Mack, who's here in the studio with me now. Hi, Janet. And Hi, she how are you? wants to connect with her dog, Murphy. Yes. Okay. Um, I lost Murphy just about a month ago. Now it'll oh, be. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. And he died very suddenly and unexpectedly. He had just come back from the vet. Everything came back clear. He's a very healthy dog, TDI certified, great temperament. And 
he was out running around in the backyard and my mom turned around and he was gone. How old was he when he died and what kind of dog is he? He was a golden retriever. He was eight. Okay. And did you take him into the vet for anything specific? He was acting weird? Nope. It was a regular checkup. You know, it's interesting. So the way I'm, I'm being shown what was going on with him, first of all, he seems very goofy, just like a, a, a goofy sort of like, you know, kind of <laughs> right, right up in my face sort of energy. But what he's showing me, I'm going right to the middle of his chest for some reason his heart stopped and I feel like there was some sort of blood clot or I feel like it might it started somewhere else but it ended at his heart and it was like boom heart attack done um I don't feel like it was cancer I don't feel like I'm not seeing a tumor I have certain symbols for those kinds of things I'm not seeing that I'm seeing like literally my heart just stopped and I dropped is that kind of consistent with what she saw I think so. It, it was instantaneous. He was running around, playing in the snow, burying his head in the snow, and my mom turned around and saw him lying down, and he wasn't breathing, and that was it. There was a, there was a trickle of blood near his mouth, she said, mm-hmm. but th- that was the only unusual thing that we noticed. Yeah, he. what he's saying is that he chose... He cho- See, when they choose to go, they're, they're talking about their higher self. We have our physical body and our physical thoughts and then there's the higher version of us and animals have that too and from his higher self perspective he decided when he was going to go he was just going to go quick he knows that you're the kind of person who would have lamented if he had any sort of illness or problem you're the kind of person who would have spent thousands and thousands of dollars to fix whatever was going on and I don't feel like it would have been fixed and I feel like it would have prolonged his suffering he would have suffered if whatever was going on with him hadn't killed him immediately. And that was going to be more difficult on you than just having him go. He's also saying that it was fitting the way that he went because that's how he was. He was like goofy and playful. And that's how he wanted to go out was, you know, in the middle of running around and in the middle of doing his thing. Um, So he, you know, they do plan that. All the animals that I've ever talked to have said, you know, we think it's an untimely death. And it's interesting because... With people, I hear people so many times say, well, you know, it was God's turn to take them and, you know, it was their time. And with animals, it's like, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? And and it's harder for us to accept because we are their caretakers. We're the ones who are supposed to be looking out for them. And so many times, you know, people think I should have seen something. I should have seen it coming. I should have known. You couldn't have in this case. There's not one thing that you could have known. Even the vet, right, didn't pick up anything. It was just, okay, this dog is fine. And so sometimes they just go that way because they choose it. He wants to point out that he knows that there's a part of you that's thinking, I don't want another dog right now. But there's another part of you that there's a big hole there because he's not there. So what he wants to encourage you to do is to get another dog at some point when you're ready. He says it doesn't have to be the same kind as him. So I don't know if you're thinking, if you're attached to that breed and that's what you're thinking about, but he wants you to give yourself permission to branch out to other dogs. I don't know if you would try to compare another golden too much to him or something. Um, What are your thoughts about getting a dog and what kind? I've been toying with the idea of getting another one, wondering if it's too soon. And Beth and I were just talking about this off the air. and Just today. You just mentioned. today, this morning. And mm. I, I am leaning toward another one because it's so hard to, to have a dog for so long and then to come home and, and the dog's not there. So, 
Yeah. Are you trying to get the same kind, a golden or something? I think so. I, I am very attached to the breed, so. I mean, the feeling is just he's, not that you need it, but he's giving you permission to do that. He's saying, you know, he doesn't feel like you're replacing him. He's going to actually help lead you to the right dog. You're going to know. And the dog's going to be very different than him, a very different kind of energy. Now, not that he wasn't sweet, but the one that I'm seeing, it's it's like the kind of dog that puts their head on your lap and just stares at you, Aww. you know, <laughs> lovingly that just that you look at the dog and go, wow, this is this dog is like looking right through me almost. That's how you're going to know who this dog is. Are you attached to male dogs more so than female? No, I don't think necessarily. I think I'd get a female this time because I wouldn't That's want to I was compare thinking. another dog to to him. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was getting. I feel like it's a, a doe-eyed girl. That's Aww. the only way I can describe her. <laughs> Big eyes that will melt you. You'll know her when you see her, and he'll help you find her. I'm excited. All right, that's animal communicator Janet Ridgway, who spoke with Beth Adams and Unleashed producer Megan Mack. You can learn more about Janet at her website, JanetRidgway.com. And if you're wondering about the cost of a reading, a half-hour session over the phone, 75 bucks For an in-person reading, an hour-long session, $150. Now, in recent years, there has been some controversy surrounding so-called pet psychics. Dr. Wally Seif is the founder of the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement, which is a national nonprofit organization dedicated to providing grief counseling for people who have lost beloved animals. And Dr. Seif is concerned that animal communicators can exploit people who are grieving, turning grief into profit. And yet on the website for the Association for Pet Loss and Bereavement, there's a section called Pet Heaven. Here's a portion of what it says, quote, There is a very special place where beloved pets go after they die. This is only a temporary location, but there are trees and grass and lakes and everything they love. And here they can play and eat and sleep even better than they did before they died. In other words, even the skeptics of pet psychics are looking for psychological comfort after the loss of a beloved animal. Uh, Megan Mack, producer, uh, I know it was very tough for you losing your animal, but I am curious if you felt like that was an actual effective communication. Well, I, I'll say I went in very open-minded, and I'll also say that I was looking for comfort at a time when I was very emotional and very shocked because his death came out of nowhere. And it's hard to say. It's hard to, because I was so upset, I don't know if I looked at the situation objectively. And I was looking for comfort. So I think now that I've been distanced from the loss for a couple months, I may have walked in a little, a little more skeptical. Okay. Well, uh, listen, if you're a skeptic in the audience, I always say skepticism's a good thing. Uh, skepticism's a healthy thing. And I'm a skeptic. And, you know, we had a caller during the segment say, oh, I can't believe WXXI is, is highlighting this kind of a thing. But I would just say, this has become a big business. We wanted you to hear what it sounds like. And a lot of people say, okay. And a lot of people say, no way. I, Dr. Weiland, you, you said people don't ask you about pet psychics. They don't ask you for consultations on this, do they? No, they don't. Okay. No. W um, would you direct someone to a ostensible pet psychic? No, I wouldn't direct anybody to a psychic. Um, I think that there are there are better means of of talking, you know, of of handling the all the emotions that come with losing a pet. Um, if we're talking about pet loss and trying to communicate with them in the afterlife, as the psychic is, um, I think that there's there's other means of of talking about, you know, how you're feeling and. And stuff. So there's bereavement 
websites and people you can talk to and stuff like that. Sure. And look, we're psychologically attached to our pets. They are family in many ways. And so I understand why people want to have that communication. But um, I also understand the skepticism. Let's go ahead and get a very short break in. We're going to spend the rest of the hour with your questions uh, with Dr. Weiland. We're going to talk about, well, a number of other issues that have come in. And we've had some emailed questions on animal health and phone calls as well. If you want to call the program, any questions about your pet's pet health, etc., it's 844-295-TALK, toll-free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI, 263-9994. Dr. Todd Weiland from the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh is in studio for the rest of the hour on Unleashed. Coming up in our second hour, using music to shine a light on a very important issue in our community, child and infant mortality better now than it has ever been and it has certainly been improving in recent decades but it is still a much higher rate than we should have it's a very serious issue we're connecting the music of the past to the issue today and we'll explain how our next hour major funding for unleashed the pet show on connections comes from rufus kendig the richard t bell foundation and from the lilliputian foundation little grants making a big difference welcome back to unleashed the pet show on connections i'm evan dawson uh, before we get back to your phone calls an emailed question and uh, let's go with emma's question emma says uh, for your panelists i know that dogs tend to eat all kinds of strange things my dog eats dog food and besides that only grass, but he eats a lot of grass. Any idea why he does this, and can it be harmful, Dr. Weiland? Uh, no, grass is okay for dogs to eat within reason. And I preface that because we we have seen some dogs that have had um, they've they've had say a, a gastric foreign body, something that they've eaten that's in their stomach or in their intestines, and then they've inhaled large quantities of grass to get themselves to vomit, um, and and it's produced a blockage on top of the blockage and and we I have seen one other dog that had a, a grass blockage because it ate real long stringy mm. thick grass and it just got wedged in the pylorus the right way and we had to go in and get it but for the most part um, you know dogs kind of like people like a little roughage I mean they're not true carnivores so in the wild they were eating you know grains and grasses out of whatever they would would have uh, killed for dinner and um, so they they kind of have a longing for that kind of stuff and uh, for some dogs it's they'll eat it if their stomach's off a little bit and it will make them throw up but no a little grass is fine okay Emma I hope that helps you to the phones we go this is Meg in Rochester go ahead Meg hi um, I have a cat and she's approximately eight years old we're not too sure not po- totally positive about her age because she was a stray um, she has had numerous um, infections in her ye- ears that have been diagnosed as yeast, and she keeps getting them back, even though we treat her with the drops. And I'm wondering if there's anything we can do to prevent that. Oh, that's a great question. We see that a lot. Um, you know, ear, ear infections that keep coming back, there there's, tends to be a, a, a primary underlying cause with that. And uh, the, the number one cause is an allergy of some kind, be it a food allergy or an environmental allergy. So that, that would be the next steps that I would pursue on that. Okay. All right. So um, allergy testing via the vet or? 
Well, I think you want to talk to your veterinarian about um, different options in terms of r- ruling in or ruling out allergies. Um, most people start with a, with a food trial, a hypoallergenic food, in case they have an, a food allergy. Because in pets and uh, dogs and cats, allergies for them, um, they, they, show, they, they show on the body as skin issues. It's different than you or I, our allergies are either runny nose, sniffling, sneezing, you know, those kinds of, when it's an environmental allergy. Um, okay. All right. All so right. you got a couple of different things and, and, you know, it's, it, it's going to take some time. You need to stick with it. There also is a dermatologist that is in town. Um, they come into town from um, Ohio twice a month at, over at Vet Specialist of Rochester. So maybe talk with your veterinarian about getting a, an appointment over there. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for the phone call. In Rochester, this is David next up. Go ahead, David. Um, yes, yeah, so I have a cat that uh, we need to get the cat to the veterinarian to get him some shots. Is there any kind of medication that we can do that would calm the cat down before we uh, get her to take her to the vets? Because she just goes ballistic. I mean, you just mentioned the word veterinarian. The cat knows what's going on. Sure. What I would do is... Um give your veterinarian a call and see if they could prescribe something that you could give, say, an hour or two before on an empty stomach, and that might help to sedate her a little bit. Also, you know, getting the carrier out uh, a few days earlier and and letting them get used to it versus, you know, I think that they, they see that carrier come out and then their their guard goes up and it's time to, to hit the high road. So they they see the carrier, they run off, or they're, they're already a little bit anxious about it. I think if you've got the carrier out a week or two weeks before your appointment, you're going to have more, better success, too, in terms of getting them into the carrier. Great. We'll give, it, we'll give that a try. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thanks for the call. This is Paulette in Rochester next up. Go ahead, Paulette. Hi, Paulette. Go ahead. Oh, Paulette. Here, I'm going to put you on hold, Paulette. You're going to realize in a second you were listening... My guess is you were listening to the radio and not through the phone there, and there's a delay. So, Paulette, hang in there and jump on the phone so you can listen, and we'll come back to you in just a moment here. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Todd Weiland from the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh. He's in studio for this edition of Unleash, the pet show. And uh, listeners, if you want to call the program with any questions about your animals, between now and the rest of the hour, it's 844-295-TALK, toll-free, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI, 263-9994. We'll try Paulette again. Go ahead, Paulette. Uh, yes, I have a uh, Shisu Maltese mix who's five years old. I have recently started giving her fresh fruits and vegetables mixed in with her dry food. So it's about one quarter fresh fruits and vegetables and three quarters dry food. And uh, I got a list off the internet of which uh, foods are good for dogs, fresh fruits and vegetables, and which ones are toxic. But my question is, I, I feel like I'm giving her better nutrition, giving her some fresh food, and I wonder if this is a good idea. Sure, as long as those fresh foods fall into the safe for dog category, I think that you're... Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to go. Okay. All right, Paula, thanks for the the phone call. I'm sure you get questions on food often. Very Uh, often. But fresh fruits and vegetables, 
Okay. Lean meats, okay. Um, let's see here. Before I jump back on the phones, uh, one of your regular, uh, let's see, one of your regular patients is being referenced in an email from Sharon. She said, my cat, Charlie, has been a patient of Pittsford Animal Hospital for the entire length of his tenure. 20 years old is the cat. Uh, He says, we bring him in for semi-annual senior visits, and we supplement his food with powders that help with his kidney function and arthritis. I'm concerned he's not been grooming himself regularly. I think it is probably due to his arthritis because he does fine on the areas he can reach easily. So here's the question. Charlie dislikes it immensely when I comb him. Should I take him to a professional cat groomer? To keep his coat well-groomed, or is matted fur not going to adversely affect his health? I just bought some cat wipes and a grooming glove that allows me to gently clean him, but it doesn't do much for the mats. Oh, tough problem. Um, Definitely, I think we want to get that taken care of. And whether that is at a groomer or given his age, you know, probably at the the hospital so that, um, you know, we can keep a close eye on him while that's being done. Those mats are like having... Um, like a big knot in your hair and it's pulling on your skin. And those can be very annoying to the cats and very uncomfortable. And so, um, yes, it's very un- it's very common for older cats to stop grooming just because they have trouble getting around and with the arthritis in their spine and everything and trying to um, groom themselves. But it's very important that we keep those mats out so that they're not causing pain. Dr. Weiland, every phone line is lit up here. We're going to get through as many questions as we can between now and the rest of the hour. I will mention a couple of listener responses to the ostensible pet psychic. They have not been very kind to the pet psychic. Uh, Mark writes to me and says, Evan, thank you so much for having the psychic on. It's great for people to hear what that actually sounds like because what that sounds like is quackery. That's a strong comment from Mark. Jake writes to us and says, uh, psychics are empirically falsifiable, and it's been demonstrated more than a few times. It's sad that the Consumer Protection Bureaus don't take this seriously and do something. Um, very interesting. Thank you, Jake. Let's get back to the phones, and I'm going to go to Doug and Mount Morris. Next up with Dr. Todd Weiland. Go ahead, Doug. Good afternoon. I enjoy the program. Thanks. I got a very cool inside-outside cat. He he kind of hibernates in the winter, but he won't use a litter box, <clears throat> so he goes to the door like a dog. I mean, he's very cool. But he, he's a heck of a mouser, and eating the mouse, I believe it's a tapeworm that he gets. Yes. And it's a, like a monthly pill that, you know, once a month pill that I have to give him when he gets into it and didn't know if there's a different way to treat that because I hate jamming the pill down his throat. There is a topical that's available. Oh, um, there's a topical. You can talk to your veterinarian about that. That would be okay. applied as you're, seeing the, as you're seeing the tapeworms. And so okay. it's a way of like- not doing that uh, not giving him the pill because you're right that's a big pill to to get down a cat's throat right that's kind of like rubbed on the top of his neck behind his head correct right on the back of the neck um it's not a flea and tick preventative it's actually it's it's a it's a topical dewormer topical dewormer okay that's good to know good luck to you doug thanks for the phone call k in rochester is next go ahead k hi thanks for taking my call sure uh my question is about two elderly cats my mom has these two cats that she doesn't really take care of. She thinks that cats take care of themselves. But, you know, like their claws grow into their feet and they become dehydrated and all these things because she doesn't really take care of them very well. And so I'm wondering if it's better to remove these cats and take them in myself because I love them. I've known them my whole life and their lives. Um, or to leave them in their familiar environment because I know that moving a cat is so stressful for them. Um, I mean, the answer seems obvious to me, but I don't know how the cats will respond to that. Well, um, I think if you've got a, if you have a nice, quiet household, 
that you know for these older cats then they would adjust just fine okay what if they're used to having a big outdoor safe yard do you think they'll adjust to being indoor okay how old are they again maybe like 15 yeah i think that they'll be okay okay yeah, yeah i would i would encourage you to to you know either help your mother to you know either you take care of the veterinary care and and be responsible for that and leave them in the same environment or you know, think about bringing them into your home. Because they do need a lot more attention as they get older. They do. Medical attention, that is. Right. Okay. Thank you, Kay. Thanks. uh, Thank you. And good luck to you. Thanks for the phone call. Mary in Fairport is next. Go ahead, Mary. Hey, doctor. I wondered what you thought about um, the medication Apoquil. I have an eight-year-old cockapoo, and he's allergic to storage mites and has a high presence of yeast. So they put them on Apoquil, and initially it worked well. Now, I don't know if it's the spring coming back, but he's itching at his paws again. He's got a hot spot on his tummy that he's, um, you know, digging out with his teeth. I just wondered what you thought of it. I really love the drug. Um, It's really changed how we're handling these patients with um, allergies. And, um, you know, it's it's relatively safe and cost-effective for clients, and we're just seeing some fantastic results with it. You know, there could always be either a secondary yeast or um, bacterial infection going on there that needs to be addressed that's ramping up the amount of itch that he's got going on. Uh, I think that you... You know, there's no magic bullet to, to cure everything, but, you know, it's just part of the process. It's just, it's, yeah, I would stick with it, but also look for other causes that might be ramping things up. At, at some point, we were told to go from taking it every day to taking it every other. Should I maybe go back to every day and see if that well, I would I would get in touch with your veterinarian. Um, it is labeled for once a day, and I think what we try to do is see if we can manage at the lowest possible dose. You know what I mean? All right, good luck to you, Mary. Thanks for the phone call. Let me go out to Penfield. This is Diane. Go ahead, Diane. Hi. I'm concerned about the insecticides and pesticides and all that stuff people put on their lawns. I do not put it on the on my lawn because of uh, fear of what this stuff is doing to the dogs. I know the chemical industry does say these things are safe, but I frankly uh, am very skeptical of that. Could you com- could you comment on that, Doctor? Diane, it's a great question. Go ahead, Doctor. Yeah, I, I think we it's a it's it's a tough question to answer in that we don't have scientific data on it. We so we we, we need it, don't we? we? We sure do. You know, our kids are playing on it, our pets are playing on it, and uh, we're playing on it you know, out there in the summer. And so, you know, what are these things actually doing to us as, um, as individuals and, and our pets? And so I think that the least amount you can do is probably ideal. Yeah, yeah, because their noses are right down in it and they lie oh, in sure. it. And yeah. I know so many, my, my own veterinarian has commented on the vast increase in the amount of cancer that is seen in dogs than she has seen over the years. So I, I'm, well, any rate. So and, I don't and so, put right, it I agree. Is, is it a, is it a, fun, is it that, is it just, is it just a, a magnification of all the different chemicals that, that are out there? Yeah, Diane, it, it is a great question. And, and I guess if you're walking your dog, doctor, and mm-hmm. you see someone who's got, you know, those, those signs they put on their lawn, you know, this lawn has been fertilized or whatever it is, um, even if 
Well, well, I guess we should say there's a wide range of fertilizers, right? But, Correct. But, but even no matter what it is, no matter what they tell you about the fertilizer, does it make sense for you just to keep your, your animal off of that? It that sure spot? does, yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, good reminder, Diane, because we're finally moving back into fertilizing the season that, um, that, that people will be involved with. So let me grab Lisa in Gates next up. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi. Hello there. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm calling because we have an older dog. We're not quite sure how old. We got him when he was about, well, we think he was might have been seven or eight. He was from a rescue organization. It's a miniature poodle mixed with something else. We don't know what mm-hmm. else. Always been really, really anxious. He's kind of increasingly getting kind of deaf and blind, and we're wondering if he might be getting some dementia as well. He um, had some behaviors at night that almost looked like sundowning type behaviors that you might see with a human being with dementia, anxious, whimpering, kind of very restless. And this goes on for about 20, 25 minutes before he just kind of exhausts himself and falls asleep. Um, And it's a nightly ritual we have. And I don't know if there's something that we can do to help smooth that out for him a little bit. Oh, wow. Or if it could be indicative of something else. Thanks for the phone call, Lisa, and we're getting short on time, so go ahead, Doctor. Sure. It, it, you know, I think that the first thing you want to do is metabolically make the make sure there's nothing going on. So visit your veterinarian, get some blood work done, and then talk to them about some medications you could use at nighttime just to help ease with that transition. We sure do see sundowners like we do in people and Oh, you pets. do? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And dementia? Uh, Cognitive common? dysfunction. Cognitive we see. dysfunction. Yeah, we see a lot of different things in older dogs specifically. Some in cats, but more so in older dogs. Okay. A lot of great stuff this hour. And if you were on the line and couldn't get through, we do Unleash the Pet Show the third Friday of every month, the first hour. It's your chance to communicate with local veterinarians and those who are serving our cats, dogs, and otherwise, sometimes pocket pets and others, as as Dr. Weiland said, many other animals out there. So if you couldn't get through this hour, uh, we'll be back right here, as we always are, on the third Friday of the month with people like Dr. Todd Weiland. He is from from the Animal Hospital of Pittsburgh, which is where, by the way? Where are you? We're on um, Monroe and Clover, right there in Pittsburgh. For 20 years now. Yes. And online where? You should know this, by the way. You've got to be online. Are you online? We are. MVA, <laughs> okay. MVA.com. All right, very good. Well, thank you for taking the time and answered so Monroe many Vets, of our... I'm sorry, MonroeVets.com. MonroeVets.com. Uh, answered so many l- l- questions from our listeners and, uh, and helping take care of our animals. So we appreciate that. Thanks for the work that you do, and thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. And you can let us know what you think about Unleashed by tweeting us at the hashtag Unleashed or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Unleashed. The Pet Show. Coming up on our next hour, the Rochester Tabletop Opera is holding a performance to raise awareness about child mortality and child poverty in Rochester, a multimedia show featuring the music of Gustav Mahler, and we get a preview of that coming up next on Connections.